Bill Horn, leader of that caravan, had a large amount of gold which he was taking back east. No one in his party except a girl knew that he had the fortune. Horn had gone west at the beginning of the gold strikes, but it was not until fifty-three that any success attended his labors. Later he struck it rich, and in 1865, as soon as the snow melted on the mountain passes, he got together a party of men and several women and left Sacramento. He was a burly miner, bearded and uncouth, of rough speech and taciturn nature, and absolutely fearless. At Ogden, Utah, he had been advised not to attempt to cross the Wyoming hills with so small a party, for the Sioux Indians had gone on the warpath. Horn was leading his own caravan and finding for himself the trail that wound slowly eastward. He did not have a scout or hunter with him. Eastward traveling caravans were wont to be small and poorly outfitted for only the homesick, the failures, the wanderers, and the lawless turned their faces from the Golden State. At the start, Horde had eleven men, three women, and the girl. On the way, he had killed one of the men, and another, together with his wife, had yielded to persuasion of friends at Ogden and had left the party. So when Horn halted for camp one afternoon in a beautiful valley in the Wyoming hills, there were only nine men with him. On a long journey through wild country, strangers grow close together or far apart. Bill Horn didn't think much of the men who had accepted the chance he offered them, and daily he grew more aloof. They were not a responsible crowd— and the best he could get out of them was the driving of oxen and camp chores indifferently done. He had to kill the meat and find the water and keep the watch. Upon entering the Wyoming Hills region, Horn showed a restlessness and hurry and anxiety. This in no wise affected the others. They continued to be aimless and careless as men who had little to look forward to. This beautiful valley offered everything desirable for a campsite except natural cover or protection in case of attack. But Horn had to take the risk. The oxen were tired, the wagons had to be greased, and it was needful to kill meat. Here was an abundance of grass, a clear brook, wood for campfires, and sign of game on all sides. All round, make a circle, Horn ordered the drivers of the oxen. This was the first time he had given this particular order, and the men guffawed or grinned as they hauled the great clumsy prairie schooners into a circle. The oxen were unhitched, the camp duffel piled out, the ring of axes broke the stillness, fires were started. Horn took his rifle and strode away up the brook to disappear in the green brush of a ravine. It was early in the evening— with the sun not yet out of sight behind a lofty ridge that topped the valley slope. High grass, bleached white, shone brightly on the summit. Soon several columns of blue smoke curled lazily aloft until, catching the wind high up, they were swept away. Meanwhile, the men talked at their tasks. "'Say, Par, did you come along this here Laramie Trail going west?' asked one. "'Nope, I hit the Santa Fe Trail,' was the reply. "'How about you, Jones?' "'Same for me.' 
Well, said another, I went round to California by ship and I'd have been lucky to drown. And now we're all gone back, poorer than when we started, remarked another. Par, you've said something. Well, I seen a heap of gold if I didn't find any. Jones, is this here Bill O'Horn any gold with him? He acts like it, answered Jones, and I heard he's struck it rich out there. The men appeared divided in their opinions of Bill Horn. From him they drifted to talk of possible Indian raids and scouted the idea. Then they wondered if the famous Pony Express had been over this Laramie Trail. Finally they got on the subject of a rumored railroad to be built from east to west.